wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Thanks for listening. You can follow Bleeding Daylight and connect to our social media channels by following the links at bleedingdaylight.net. Please share Bleeding Daylight episodes and leave a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. My guest today has so far led a fascinating life with a number of careers, many of them at the same time. A major health event caused him to reassess his life direction and drew him into his current main vocation. I'll introduce you in a moment. If you saw Kirk McCarley in his early years, you'd be certain that sport would never figure too much in his future. But life has a strange way of defying expectations. Known as the seed sower coach, Kirk has more than 30 years of executive leadership experience in both the public and private sectors. He's been married for over 40 years, has two children and a grandchild. He joins us from his home in Florida today. Kirk, thanks for being part of Bleeding Daylight. Rodney, thanks so much for having me, and my daughter would uh, want me to say now I have two grandchildren uh, because we've got a one-year-old as well. So thank you very much. My pleasure to be with you. Oh, wonderful. And I mentioned those early sporting years, or perhaps I should say non-sporting years. (laughs) Tell me a little about those early experiences in the sporting arena. Rodney, it was so bad that the uh, teacher I had in second grade, I believe it was, and the principal of the school contacted my parents and said, Mr. and Mrs. McCarley, you need to toss some balls with this kid. He is just not very good, and he is certainly not excelling on the playground. So that was an embarrassing moment for them, I'm sure, much more than me. But fast forward a couple of years from there, and Organized sport was uh, just coming into being, specifically basketball. And we meet people through our lives, I believe, who are maybe obscure figures that we never think of again. They introduce us to something, and it's life-changing. And that's exactly what happened to me in about the third grade, is one of my classmates introduced me to peewee basketball as it was back then in the 1960s, and I was awkward. I had height uh, in my favor, which was one thing, and so I started plodding along as kind of this pudgy, uncoordinated kid. Lo and behold, I discovered a passion, and as I discovered that passion, dad hung a backboard off the garage. I began to practice. I began to mold and shape, continue to grow. And after a while, I got to be pretty good at that. And so that propelled me on into middle school and high school where I continued to play. But along the way, I discovered the newspaper and I discovered the sports sections of the newspaper and learned that My mathematical inclinations had a place in the sports world, so I started grazing box scores for baseball and line scores for basketball and performed calculations. Percentages had fascinations to me, probability. And at first, this was in pre-calculator days, I did it longhand. If uh, 
a player was one for four, I learned that was 250 by longhand. Growing a little bit more sophisticated through memorization, so that if I saw an eight for 11, that was 72.7%. If it was nine for 15, 60%, and so on. What good did that do me? Well, I became a kind of a dorky source of information for teammates, as it were, later on. But then as I got into college, there were connections that were made for me that uh, propelled themselves into a later career that became a, an avocation and eventually a vocation. So that's an l- early bit and piece of my sporting career and how it transitioned into something else. There's so much to explore in there, and I know that we will as we unpack some of your story. I find it interesting. You you mentioned that there's this young kid back in the day who introduces you to to sport, in a sense, and it seems inconsequential at the time, and right throughout our lives, we do have those supposedly inconsequential moments or people that we meet, and I'm sure we'll explore that more fully, but also the fact that you started practicing a lot. And oftentimes in life, I think we believe that we just need to have a natural talent or we don't, and that's it. And yet you actually started from a place of no visible natural talent, but you worked hard. Yes, I see people who have natural talent and uh, a God-given ability, and I'm in such admiration of that because I didn't have that. I had desire. I had a work ethic. I had discipline. And the other thing I had, Rodney, was imagination and maybe visioning at an early age is I could see myself doing something greater than I was gifted to be able to do. The imagination aspect came into play when I would be practicing alone. There wouldn't be a playmate that was around or there wasn't anybody who had interest in playing basketball with me. So I'd make up games against myself and uh, keep, of course, statistics uh, about those contests and write a little bit about what had taken place. Again, an imagination in my mind, almost playing my own game. But the past is very fortuitous in terms of how that transferred much, much later on into the coaching and executive coaching that I do and challenging my clients to use their imagination or to even go back and list the things that they wanted to do uh, when they were kids. Another one of those inconsequential moments, I believe, was when your basketball went missing. Tell us about that story. That goes to college. And after a couple of years of school, I was doing well uh, academically, but socially, Uh, there was a little bit to be desired from that. So I was what they call a gym rat in the States and spent a lot of my time in pickup games when I was in college. So the basketball, that was my tool. It was very near and dear to me. So I had shunned social clubs up to that point in time. Uh, It was on a, a Saturday afternoon when my ball was misplaced. A couple or three people that I were playing with were members of the social club. When the ball was misplaced, they spent a good half hour 
wandering around the gym, looking under bleachers and looking in the crevices to try to help me find that ball. Uh, we weren't successful as it turned out. And uh, of course, I saved up money and got a new one. But during the time of searching, it was mentioned to me, hey, we're having a gathering. Uh, would you like to come join us? And I was moved in my heart by that, quite frankly, and said, yeah, I'll do that. Y'all are nice guys, saying that to myself. I went, uh, eventually joined uh, that social club, that fraternity, and what difference did it make? I, I met some friends, but those friends became close friends, some of whom are still close friends to this day, one of whom uh, was a broadcast communications major. We developed a bond. We were the guys before cable television was even considered, before ESPN uh, became into being, that would sit and comment over the commentators. And my role tended to be the statistical aspect of it, where I would say if he gets a hit here in a baseball game, he's up to 360. If he uh, doesn't, He's down to 320, and so would add that insight and highlight to our make-believe broadcast. That broadcast communications major uh, eventually was secured by ESPN, which led me into working with him for many, many years, and he's moved on to other things now, but I am still doing that, providing statistical information and insight to broadcasters as they communicate during the course of the game. I would say, though, more importantly, was uh, a party that we were having one evening, and there was a young lady who was sitting on a kitchen island in the fraternity house that we were in that I engaged in conversation with, and that young lady became my wife, and two kids, two grandkids later, were still together after 41 years, and she is a talented individual in her own right, besides being an excellent wife and, and mother. And she is a, I put in a plug for her, a kitchen and bath designer. She has got an eye and an insight that, uh, uh, again, God-given talent. I don't know how she sees some of the things that she sees. It's quite interesting when you think, uh, for yourself, it was that inconsequential moment of losing a basketball, which probably was quite frustrating at the time, led to some lifelong friends and meeting your wife, which is wonderful. But also for those guys who chose to show kindness when they could have just turned around and said, look, that's your problem. We'll leave you to it. They showed a kindness. And I guess that friendship has paid that kindness back over the years as well. You're absolutely right, Rodney, and it has taught me some lessons about how to return that kindness, how to pay it forward, so to speak. I try to parlay that into coaching. I hope the Lord is looking kindly upon that because it is a uh, spiritual mission for me in many ways is who needs to be listened to, who needs to be heard, who needs a presence uh, on this particular day at this particular time because they're searching for answers to something. And so that's how that transcends into what I'm now having the fortune to do besides continuing to get to work for ESPN. 
you've had quite a, a career in, in coaching other people and leading them to be able to see where the decisions need to be made in their life. I'm interested in the whole idea of, of life coaching because it seems these days that everyone is tagging themselves as a life coach. Do you think that sometimes devalues the sort of thing that you're doing? I mean, you've had a history in HR, you, you have a, a great understanding, you've had life experience that you can apply to that. And yet more and more, I'm, I'm seeing young people, people in their 20s who are saying, I'm a life coach, wanting to, to lead people to places that they've never been themselves. First of all, coaching is evolving as far as becoming a recognized profession in and of itself. Uh, How I got into it, another sacred intersection, uh, when I was late in my career in human resources, I knew that I didn't want to hang up the cleat, so to speak, or the tennis shoes or the sneakers. I wanted to do something else, and I wanted to identify what that something else was. So I hired a coach about our third meeting there was a breakthrough for me where I looked him in the eye, pointed a finger at him and said, I want to do what it is that you do. And so I let that sink in a little bit and okay, to do this, I could just declare I'm a life coach, but it seems like there's something more, something else that I need to equip myself with in order to be uh, effective and successful at doing that. So there are schools Uh, that are out there. There are programs. I enlisted in one. This was about, oh, I guess about seven, six, seven years ago and got a certified professional coaching certificate as a result of that. I was still in my HR career, but began to dabble with that a little bit. And then when I transitioned, retired out of that, I became a member of the International Coaching Federation There's an actual accreditation program that goes through that, that explores much more deeply what coaching is, what's involved in it, what's required, and that it's more than just mentoring, more than just listening to what someone has to say. It's sitting down with them, asking deep, probing questions, not leading questions, but getting them to the point that they are resourcing everything they have within themselves to get to where it is that they want to be. It's interesting that you mention that about that third session that you had that aha moment and that you were able to say, I want to do what you're doing. I guess it must be incredibly satisfying for you when you're dealing with clients to see them reach their own aha moment and to come to some realization of what the next step in life should be. That is so fulfilling. I mean, I get paid for this, but that is worth all the gold in the world to me. I think of one client in particular. As a matter of fact, I corresponded with him a couple of of days ago. I'm not coaching him anymore, but we stay in touch. And he came into our relationship very successful professionally, but wanting a little bit something more out of life. He wanted to leave his footprint on this world besides what he was doing as a very successful engineer. So we explored some things. And as it turned out, he has a gift for uh, financial integrity. And that was born early in his life with uh, seeing his parents have some financial struggles 
and he making a commitment to himself that he didn't want that same thing to happen to him. So he's got a strong budgetary uh, planning model that he uses. I want to make the long story short, uh, the imprint that he is going to make or that he is making is uh, he is a certified uh, Dave Ramsey coach and works with particularly young people who are in financial struggle or heading in that direction to work out a plan as to how that's going to play out and get them into sounder shape. Now, as a side benefit, he also came to me as a single person. I'm looking for relationship with someone of the other sex. I would like to get married and eventually start a family someday. Well, I'm I'm, I'm not eHarmony.com, but we did talk about how you go about meeting someone that is going to be a good match for you, etc. He's getting married in August. They bought a house and he showed me pictures of it yesterday. And I'm just so excited and delighted. That's one that you want to just raise your hands and, and try up and say, yippee, when you hear stories like that. Absolutely. And I, I am interested there. You're saying that he, he was quite successful, but he was looking for something more. But he did have a bit of an issue in how do I go about finding a life partner? How do I find a wife? Do you think sometimes that we throw so much into our career, our, our chosen profession, that we've lost the ability to do some of those basic things like find that person to travel life with us? Your observation is spot on. And certainly this COVID season that we've been in has not done any favors uh, in that regard. So given that obstacle just in and of itself, how are we going to connect? How are we going to meet people? Fortunately, we're, we're, we're coming out of that se- this season right now, but still with that, people are looking for connectivity. Zoom is great, but you still can't overcome meeting in person and having a relationship that way. So certainly a, a, a big challenge and something that people are looking for. How do you find that, that life partner that you can share life with? God willing, it's out there, but uh, perseverance, letting it come to you. There's coaching on dating and a relationship that's out there. That's not my specialty, but even with career and executive coaching, which is primarily my forte, I enter into life issues along the way because work is part of life and having that balance is something that so many people are looking for. I want to go back a few years now, back to 2014, and I believe that there was an obstacle that popped up in your way, a bit of a, a health scare. I'm a, uh, besides being a certified life coach, a certified spinning instructor, group cycling. And for those who are not familiar with it, I guess uh, metaphors for that are soul cycle, which in the States is real big in New York. But we are the people that are on these stationary bikes with a 45 pound flywheel and we're encouraging people to visualize climbing, sprinting, being in various positions of cycling. It's a great workout. Uh, I'm a cyclist as I know you are and it has prepared me very well for many of the rides that I've done. So seven years ago, I was in good uh, physical condition. I consider myself, uh, albeit older now, to still be that way and and still do rides as I know that you do again. So this was on a Friday 
afternoon. Uh, I remember it well. I was going to fly out later that afternoon for a work assignment for ESPN. And so I was working out on my own and specifically doing lateral pull downs on Universal Weight Machine, where all of a sudden the world went black. And the next thing I knew, there was a paramedic peering over me. I had an oxygen mask on. And he was asking me my name, date of birth, how old I was. Fortunately, I was lucid. But in that same gym where I teach spinning classes, I was let out on a stretcher and people were observing. They were gasping and they had that look in their eye of, he's an instructor. How could this happen to him? Well, I went to the, to the hospital. It was on a Friday. The weekend was upcoming. And so they kept me there for observation until Monday when we got back to a work schedule and they could run some further tests. So my wife was actually down here in Northwest Florida where we live. I was in St. Louis at the time where uh, I was working in my HR career. And I contacted her. I said, oh, there's no need to uh, come up here or, or do anything. They're going to run some tests, and I think I'll be fine. Well, that Monday afternoon, a surgeon comes into my office and reported to me, you've got 100% uh, blockage in one artery and significant blockage in two others. We're going to triple fillet you come tomorrow. Uh, at that time, I called my wife, said, better come on up. Uh, I'm having surgery. So triple bypass uh, was on the agenda. I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't happen to me. Why me? And going through all that. Also inside of me, I said, let's get this done. Let's get over this obstacle. Let's get back to work and get back to doing what I do after this procedure is over. About 10 days afterwards, uh, I was feeling a little bit down, uh, depressed almost, and I've struggled with clinical depression in my life as well. Uh, And it's actually a strength when I coach people. Uh, But I felt myself getting to that point. It's kind of like, okay, Kirk, what are you going to do? And I resolved at that moment to get to a point of being better than I was before, better with diet, although I could still do better, getting back to getting on a bike, instructing people, and being an example through that. About five weeks later, uh, post-op, I was back at the gym exercising, took a spin class from another instructor a few short days after that, and seven weeks after the surgery, uh, was back leading spin classes. The next year, back to cycling, uh, doing century rides. And so that became kind of a rallying cry for me of, yes, it could happen to me, but yes, if you persevere, if you're dedicated, if you want this uh, enough, you can get back to doing the kinds of things that you want to do. So I'm very blessed. The other thing that came about at that point in time is at 57, then at that time, it's kind of like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with the rest of my life? And that's when uh, the kick in and the push to get into coaching really got underway of, I need to reach these self-actualizing goals, go out and make my own imprint 
on the world one person at a time, so to speak. I mentioned before those incidental meetings or inconsequential events in life, but this seems to be a little bit bigger than that. You wouldn't <laughs> say that that sort of an attack is, is going to be uh, something inconsequential. Was it a bit of a, a scare for you at the time while they were still working out what was going on? That's a funny question to ask because a younger version of me would have been terrified in this particular instance, uh, I guess the answer was no. It's kind of like I've been given a second lease on life anyway. I had what was called a widow maker. I was in a great place when that happened. I was at a gym where we're certified in CPR. We know how to use the AED equipment. We were very accessible to a hospital. If I would have been on a bike ride or a walk or somewhere that was isolated, uh, I wouldn't be here talking to you as well. So that was very fortuitous on God's part to put me there when that episode occurred. I already had a second lease on life at that point. So there was not fear. It was kind of, let's get this done. Let's get this over with. Let's get back uh, to the show, whatever that show may be. There really wasn't fear. It was gratefulness that I got a second chance. Right throughout our conversation, you've touched on faith a number of times, talking about how God has placed you just in the right place to be for, for an event like that. And tell me what part has faith played in your life? In my personal relationship, my walk with God and my Savior, I've come to the conclusion he has a very good sense of humor. Uh, if it were not so, uh, he wouldn't have created me. So having said that, Faith plays a tremendous role. My prayer life tends to be conversational with God. First of all, thank you for being here with me, buddy, for giving me the gifts you've given me, uh, for giving a, me a life that really has very few regrets. God inspires me going in to so many different things that I do. In other words, Lord, how can I be a better coach, a better listener to this individual. What do they need to hear from me? If they're not believers, how can I best minister to them? I was having this conversation with a coaching colleague just yesterday, and we were talking about how you reach out to the unchurched, those that uh, are not in a faith. And there's a four-letter word that overrides everything, and I think brings all faith of the world together, so to speak, and that's love. How can I love this person at this point in time? What do they need from me? How can I express myself in such a way that maybe they catch a glimpse of the Savior's eyes peering through the Holy Spirit uh, through me to them? With that high calling, that commission, so to speak, to go out and make disciples of all, all nations, that's my faith life. It's how it transcends into coaching. It's how it transcends into, into spinning even or working with ESPN. What would you have me do today? I do a better job of that some days than others, but uh, I keep trying. I keep plugging away and learn more and more, let him do it through me instead of me expending all my effort on what I think and instead search for him and what it is that he would think. And more often than not, 
that's a successful formula. The way you're describing it, it sounds like your everyday job, your secular job, is actually a ministry. So often we have this divide between what is a ministry, it's the pastor in the church or it's the missionary or whoever it might be, and then everything outside of that is just an everyday job. And yet the way that you're talking, it sounds like actually our faith intersects our work. Has that always been the case for you? I wouldn't say always, but as I matured in my faith, uh, I got to see that revealing itself to an increasing degree. Uh, It's funny because as I was exploring with my life coach back when I met with him what possible professions might be, uh, ministry in and of itself did present itself. And I played with that a little bit. There was going to be a lot more education and schooling involved. And and, and quite frankly, you know, you talk about fear. That was what my fear was. How am I going to learn Hebrew and Greek, et cetera? But all kidding aside, I, I realized at some point, be it in my 30s and 40s, that my HR job was working with working with people. And what is it that I want to do for these people or need to do for these people besides having rules and regulations in place and writing policy? It was to be there for them, especially as I got to the mature stages of that life. I started to get glimpses again of these breakthroughs such as uh, a guy that I was listening to and talking to. I I swear this conversation never came up, but he was living with his girlfriend at the time and they were planning a family. And he came into me one day and said, you know, I've, I've decided to go ahead and get married because we shouldn't be living together unmarried. You were very influential in that with something you said and thank you, and I thanked him, and I appreciated him. And then I sat back down, and I'm kind of like, I never said anything about that that I can recollect. And all I can come up with, uh, Rodney, is there was something that the Holy Spirit did through me to move that action, and that was pretty cool. It's also interesting that you talked before about speaking with a a colleague, a a fellow coach, about how do we actually reach those who are unchurched who are coming to us? And I would guess that there are many people that would come to you for advice, that would come to you for direction, that would never step across the, the footsteps of a church and, and go in and, and hear a message, and yet you're, you're able to, to reach out to them. Do you think that enough of us, people of faith as, as Christians, enough of us realize that we are often going to be the only Bible that someone else reads? Yeah, I believe you're right on that. How do I become your vessel? How do I become your word, God, as I go into this interaction with this individual? This conversation with this colleague yesterday came as a result of a diversity and inclusion uh, program that he facilitated and that I was a member of with some fellow coaches as well. And we had a very diverse group that was there, one, one African-American woman, uh, a couple of people who were, uh, who were gay as well. And one in particular uh, was talking about an interaction she had with a believer. She does not have a faith or not a faith that uh, would be the Christian persuasion that I could tell, but was talking about his judgment 
about homosexuality. And God put them together on a car ride, actually, for a couple of hours. And they talked. He opened up and shared with her, I have a brother who is gay. And that led to a whole new relationship for her and for him as well. And I don't want to say they became best of friends, but they uh, came to a greater understanding, which is what the world needs more of this day and always has, is how can we sit down and reason together with each other? As I heard her talk, my heart turned to, I'm hearing a antagonism towards the faith that I have just a little bit. How can I be a vessel, Lord, to listen better, to reach out, to share what my faith is without being judgmental, but to do it in a way that's effective. So that seed is now planted with me, and I'm going to let the Holy Spirit take care of that. If it's his will, he's going to present an opportunity with her that I'll have a chance to share faith, to talk about it, and maybe have an opportunity to, to, to lead somebody to the cross. We'll see what happens, but I, I find that is an exciting moment, not a disappointing moment, but something that has great potential. So we'll see what happens. You've changed careers. You've done all sorts of things throughout your life. Maybe you can just fill us in on, on what you're doing these days. A lot of the, the coaching, there's also the spinning still there. What does life look like for you these days? Life is exciting for me. Uh, at 64 years old, I'm having more fun than I've ever had. I get to meet so many interesting people. What would have been the chances five years ago that I'd be talking to a, a fellow believer in Australia about what it is that I do? So I, I have you. I have people that are in the sports world. Uh, I have my friend who is getting married and is out coaching people about uh, finances. I, I sometimes think of myself as one of the three stooges from the perspective that I've almost, I, I do all these different jobs. Uh, I don't plumb and don't take care of babies or do some of the episodes that they have. But there are some days that I'm doing multitasking of vocation. I may have a client to coach in the morning. I'll do some prep work after that, getting ready for an ESPN softball game. I'll have a spinning class to go lead before all that takes place. And then I do some writing for the paper as well. There may be a blog that I need to do, or I need to edit a little bit to get it newsprint ready, ready to publish. So there are some days I will do all four occupations in one day and, and maybe have a podcast too along the way. So it's exciting in an odd sort of way. All these things play off of each other. There are elements of coaching that take place in a spinning class. One of my favorite stories at ESPN was uh, years ago when I was still in HR, there was talk about an injury that one of the players had, and the sports information director was briefing us as to the probability that this particular player was going to play. And the question that came up uh, was along the lines of, uh, well, what is the injury specifically? 
And the response was, we can't share that. That's private health information. And our broadcast crew was perplexed, but I stepped in and said, yeah, that's the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And they're prohibited from from talking about things uh, along those lines, particularly uh, among personnel who may be employees or, or, or Zudo employees in that case. So there's intersection amongst all these things that take place. And, and that's what gives me energy and vigor uh, and excitement about, uh, about the days I enjoy now. I hope that people that are listening at the moment are going to start looking out for those incidental intersections in life. I mean, as you've mentioned, those those different things that happen from your, your different work lives that are coming together, but also those meetings with people, those events in our lives that there is so much packed in them that will determine our life direction and we, we need to be looking out for them. Kirk, I'm wondering if, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to to find out a little bit more about you. I know that you you write quite often and people might want to read your blog. Where's the best place to find you? Well, I'll give you several resources, Rodney. Uh, I've got a LinkedIn site, Kirk McCarley on LinkedIn. Please contact me. I'd love to connect with you and hear your story. I have a website, uh, theseedsowercoach.com is my website. I'm out on Facebook. You can email me, Kirk at theseedsowercoach.com. Finally, if uh, you would be so bold, text me, call me, 314-677-8779. That's my St. Louis Midwest phone number, which I've uh, decided to retain here in Northwest Florida. So I certainly appreciate those who have listened in and would love to hear back from you. I will make sure that those links are in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that it's easier for people to, to get in touch with you as well. But Kirk, it's been fascinating to go on a little bit of the journey of your life. And I know that there's so much more in there, but a fascinating life it has been and continues to be. I want to thank you so much for spending some time with us on Bleeding Daylight. Rodney, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun and a real pleasure and joy for me to get to know you a little bit. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.